Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost my turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. A warm room for me low. Welcome to Love Me Las Vegas. For Ghost Ghosts, with myself, Greg Eats And now part of the Decent Family Podcast. And we've got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, we're going to be joined by Tristan Freeman, who does amazing work over at Boston Brackets. We're going to be talking with them about all the craziness that we have been seeing in college basketball and really just the lack of top teams in college basketball. I'm going to ask him the question of which team is least likely to bow out early in terms of the NCAA tournament. Not going to ask him for who he thinks is a favorite because we're both sort of in lockstep on this topic in that, well, it all depends upon the matchups itself as to who should be the favorite to win the NCAA tournament. But I will ask him which teams are least prone to being knocked off early. We're going to be also diving into the ACC Conference Tournament. Who are the teams are on the bubble that we need to be taking note of? Who could be the most dangerous team in the NCAA tournament from the ACC as well? So we're going to be talking about that and so much more with our good friend Tristan in segment number two in the final segment. Going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind letters M. Maybe it does not matter as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline and the other way. That's fine. An Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of college basketball on Sunday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It was a day of blown leads in college basketball, which is another topic that I'm going to be diving into with our good friend Tristan Freeman, but the DK Nation pick was able to come through. Number one, Houston hardly survives against Memphis as there was a Memphis buzzer beater that very nearly went that good about a bad beat for our under, but you know what? The under, it gets there with the DK Nation pick, and so does Memphis on the spread. 67-65 to was the final for Houston. They go 10-28 from three-point range, while Memphis goes 6-18. of Kendrick Davis did his part. 26 points. He did have five turnovers, but had the ball in his hands. Just a whole heck of a lot in this one. And then for Houston, it was Draymond Mark Jamal Shedd that led the team to victory. Both had 16 points apiece. Mark hits the boards for eight rebounds. Shedd, seven assists to one turnover. Houston just barely finds a way to be able to get it done. Go Owls as Kennesaw State. They go to their first NCAA tournament, a school that three years ago went 1-28. They now have 26 wins. 
They knock off Liberty 67-66. A last-second fell on a made free throw gets Kennesaw State to the NCAA tournament. Kennesaw State did lose the tournament battle 15-9. They lost the rebound battle 36-30, but they held with it as Liberty goes 5-23 of from three. Darius McGee, one of the top scorers in all of college basketball. 14 points on 0 of 11 three-point shooting. It was averaging 22.7 points per contest. Now it looks like Liberty is probably going to be going to the three-letter tournament after this one. As for Kennesaw State, a big double-double. 10 points, 11 rebounds out of Demond Robinson was able to get the team to the window. So Kennesaw State, they get in and they are 20-10-1 against the spread. If you've been betting on them this season, you've been able to make yourself a very good amount of money. You've been able to make yourself a good amount of money on this team as well. South Alabama. They are now 20-11 and 11 against the spread, and they make it to the Sun Belt Final. They take down James Madison by a count of 75-66. to 66. 8 of 18 is what South Alabama shot from three-point shot. They lost the offensive rebound battle by a count of 14-4, but they did a good job of being able to stay within themselves. Only turned the ball over seven times in this one. Kevin Samuel, just four points, but 12 rebounds, and then Isaiah Moore, Owen White. They combined for 35 points, and White goes four of eight from three-point range, so they were able to get that one done. Indiana in overtime knocks off Michigan 75-73. to Your bad beats on unders just continue because this is one that was a dead under until it went to overtime, and for Indiana, they get by despite the fact that Michigan was able to go 9 of 26 from 3, and Ernie Dickinson had himself a game. 24 points, 14 rebounds, 5 blocks. Trace Jackson Davis, 27 points, 9 boards, pair of blocks of his own as well, but Race Thompson was able to help out. He had 16 points, 10 boards for a double-double. Indiana actually lost the rebound battle 45-36, to but they won the turnover battle 13-8 to as well. And for Indiana, you were able to have Jalen Ochefino be able to chip in their 13 points. No Xavier Johnson in this one. We shall see if he returns in the Big Ten tournament. This one was an almighty sweat as Lafayette they were up 21 points in the second half. They needed a three pretty much in the end of overtime from Leo Boyle to be able to force double overtime. And Lafayette a double overtime. Gets it done 84-76 against American. Lafayette wins this game going 14-27 from three. They lost the turnover battle by a hilarious 23-9 margin. And they get by because O'Boyle does rule going 6-9 of nine from three. Very nice for him. And for Lafayette, they win the rebound battle 44-40. No shortage of fun in that one. And they're going to be taking on Colgate in a few days as they won. They covered against Army by a count of 91-74. Just completely rolled them. Drake is heading back to the NCAA tournament. They completely dismount on Bradley by a count of 77-51. Drake, 8 of 14 from three-point range. Bradley, just 5 of 19 from distance. Drake has honestly not necessarily been great against the spread, but that's just because they've had their spread set so high that it's hard for them to be able to cover. They've been a very dominant defense all season long, and they were able to get this one to the window. We have to ask, Mike, 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 you know what day it is? It's the day that we recap Gamble blowing a double-digit lead in the Big South Tournament as Gamble was up in this one 66-52 with about seven and a half minutes remaining and the Gambles could not get over the hump. You insert your jokes here because there's plenty of them. 77-73, UNC Asheville heads back to the NCAA tournament. It was clear that Drew Pember was the best player out there on the floor, 29 points, 8 rebounds, so I'll give a shout-out to Jay Powell. He was 
able to supply a double-double for Campbell. 26 points, 10 rebounds. But UNC Asheville goes 9-23 from 3 as Tyshawn Jones, Fletcher Aby. They combine for 35 points. They combine to go 8 of 15 from 3-point range. So UNC Asheville, they cash their ticket. They're going to the NCAA tournament. Purdue, boy, was this a blown lead. They win, but they don't cover against Illinois by kind of 76 to 71. At one point, Purdue was up in this game by, I believe it was 24 points. I know at the very minimum, it was 21. Yep, it was 24. They were up by a count of 51 to 27. Not great to say the least if you laid the points with Purdue as Purdue goes 6 of 18 from three-point range. Yeah, Zach Eady supplies 17.6 rebounds, which for him is a pretty pedestrian game. But I mean, to the credit of Illinois, even with Matthew Meyer, Mr. Monster himself, going out for 16 points, he had one made three. So he had four more monsters drank in a night than he had made threes. You were able to get some production off the bench as he had a 10 points out of Luke Goody. He was able to do a nice job. Goody for him, he was able to go 2 of 2 from 3 par range. So give some credit to Illinois for being able to claw their way back. And it's been really what we've been seeing a lot out of Purdue this season. A lot of wins, but a lot of non-covers in those wins. So we shall see if we're going to be getting a little bit more of that moving forward. Hofstra just completely dumped to the curve. Our good friend William and Mary, the tag team, had absolutely no shot in this one as it was 94-46. Hoff was able to get the win on Hofstra. Now 21-10 against the spread this season, but if you take a look at them in games within their conference, 16-3 against the spread. That is the top mark in all of college basketball. So they are going to be heading to the CAA semifinals. Penn State, a win, but no cover for them as Maryland has been one of your best against the spread teams on a spread of a lot of places right around two and a half. They were able to get the cover in this one, but Penn State, they were able to claw their way back in another comeback effort, and they were able to get a win by kind of 65 to 64. You saw Maryland really control this game from the outset. I mean, they had to have led by double figures for north of 30 minutes. I mean, heck, Maryland was up 57 to 45 with about six and a half minutes remaining. Jameer Young was able to supply 26 points. Maryland goes 8 of 22 from three, but Penn State and a guy by the name of Jalen Pickett do a nice job with 16 points, 7 boards, 7 assists, completely stuffed the stat sheet. And Miles Judd was able to go 3 of 7 from 3. Also, Penn State won the turnover battle by kind of 13 to 10. So, Penn State able to get the outright win, but yet another cover for your good friends over there at Maryland, who's been one of the best against the spread teams in all of college basketball. They're up to 20 and 11 against the spread. You've got, by the way, for Purdue, them being now at 12, 17, and 2 against the spread. So, that's been a little bit unsightly. I have to do this a little bit earlier tonight because of the Greg Peterson experience. That is now from 11 p.m. Eastern time to 2 a.m. on Sundays. Every other day, it's still the same old, same old midnight to 3 Eastern time, but that said, we've currently got Northwestern in the lead on Rutgers entering into the second half of that one. Northwestern entered into the day 18-12 and 12 against the spread, and Rutgers trying to play their way out of the NCAA tournament, apparently, entering into this game. They had broken the 61-point plateau in just two games without Muat Mog, and unless this game goes to overtime, looks like that is going to be a little bit more of the same. St. Thomas, the old Tommies, they were able to get the job done. 
They take down Western Illinois, ineligible to go to the NCAA tournament, which is just an absolute crying shame. But the St. Thomas team has been pretty awesome for you. They're 19-10-1 against the spread now with their winning cover against Western Illinois. So we've got to give them a little bit of shout-out. And you got to give a shout-out to all of you guys that have been taking overs this year because you guys are just making a whole bunch of money. Overs are now at 52.3% for the season. 2,779 overs to 2,535 unders overall for the season home underdogs. 8, 10, 7, and 34 against the spread. We aren't going to be seeing too many of those for the rest of the season, but if you're looking at the last 30 days in college basketball, the over rate is now at 55.8%. 820 overs to 650 unders. So if you have done absolutely nothing other than take overs in college basketball in the last 30 days, I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. You're up 105 units in the last 30 days. Just doing that. Yeah, that is rather rambunctious and in the last seven days. So this entails a lot of conference tournament action. 161 overs to 129 unders. A few games from Sunday that are still not accounted for. But my goodness, it has been quite the run for overs. And it is quite a run for this podcast with great guests that we're able to get as Tristan Freeman. He certainly fits the bill. He does amazing work at Boston Brackets coming up next. We are going to be chatting with them about what we can expect out of the ACC tournaments. The landscape that we have in college basketball is not necessarily a lot of top teams, but also perhaps a team or two that might be a little bit more stable and able to overcome a lot of upset bits when it comes to March. That is up next right here on Coast with myself, Sergio Peterson, now a part of the this show slash podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp and over at BetterHelp, they're helping you try to be able to ease up on your life a little bit more because I'm sure that you, much like myself, wish you had a little bit more time on your hands, whether that be to pursue a hobby. I myself could use a little bit of sleep as I've been handicapping about like 300 games a week and you're not able to get a lot of sleep when you're working that much, so hopefully you appreciate it on this podcast. But that said, Therapy can be exactly what you need to be able to get a little bit more time on your hands to pursue exactly what you love. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Coast today. That's C-O-A-S-T to be able to get 10% off through your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Coast. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury 
with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Just Cut Soups with myself, Greg Eames Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it is always great to be joined by this man as Tristan Freeman does absolutely incredible work taking a look at the great game of college basketball. He's over there at Boston Brackets and he is based out in the great state of Pennsylvania taking a look at everything that we're getting in this absolutely crazy time of year. You're able to follow him on Twitter at Hoopsnot351 as Tristan does a great job covering the ACC, covered all things in the Pittsburgh area, and so much more. And Tristan, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Greg. Appreciate it. Tristan, before we dive into any specific games, any specific teams, is it just me or does it feel like we've had a lot more blown leads this year than we have in past years? And do you think that there's any reason for it? Because it just feels like, especially Sunday, we saw blown lead after blown lead after blown lead, and it's just been rampant. I don't know how to explain it late in the year, because I think with so many new rosters, you could attribute it to some level of dysfunction or, or lack of continuity. But we're in March, and I think part of it is that a lot of these teams are just desperate. This is the final minutes for some of these guys, and they're not looking to go out going down 15-plus, and they're making big comebacks, and these teams are sort of – playing not to lose, so to speak, and that's creating these environments. But all that's going to show is that, you know, don't leave the TV for any of the 40 minutes because any comeback is possible. It's been absolutely insane what we have been seeing there. I mean, Furman blew that lead before they were able to rally it overtime. Lafayette, you're able to go down the list. I mean, these seats are just blowing lead after lead. And, well, as we know, things in the ACC have been rather rambunctious. Things are all set now. For the ACC tournament, no doubt about it. I think that the teams on 
Tuesday, they are not going to have a lot of appeal, but taking a look at the ACC tournament, what really intrigues you about it? Because I do take a look at just how evenly knit these teams are, like Miami, Duke, Virginia, Clemson. Those are the teams that were able to get the double buys, but I take a look at all those teams really aside from perhaps Miami, but they're not playing any defense either, and I don't think that there's any real clear, any real clear favorite in this bracket because I do think that so many of these teams are relatively equally matched. Yeah, and if you want to take Syracuse out the mix because today almost looked as if they quit on Bayheim for the Wake Forest win, there's eight teams that can reasonably beat each other. Now, you look at a team like Wake Forest, it's probably going to be hard for them to win four straight games, but their team, if they get the matchup against Miami, could potentially take them on. And then you look at even the other teams who didn't get the double by, but Pittsburgh and NC State have capable guards. Until it's over, I'm still going to hold on to a tiny bit of hope that something in March can come through with the North Carolina Tar Heels. And they'll have Virginia. And assuming that UNC takes care of Boston College or Louisville, that game is going to single-handedly either take them to DNIT or keep their hopes alive. And I wouldn't be surprised if any of these teams win the conference tournament. We saw Virginia Tech do the same thing a year ago, which was basically their way of cashing their tickets. So this is definitely going to be one of those tournaments to watch where any number of results are possible. Oh, I'm right there with you. And just in terms of the bracketology of ACC, the ACC as well, how do you view it? Because no doubt about it, Virginia, Miami, Duke, these teams are safe. I would say Pittsburgh is safe for an NCAA tournament berth as well. Past that, it feels like it's a big, giant, jumbled-up mess. I do think that NC State has done enough to be able to make it into the NCAA tournament. I know that there's a little bit of debate there. You just mentioned it with North Carolina. They absolutely cannot afford a loss in their first game in the ACC tournament. You have to go down the list. Virginia Tech is rambunctious because we saw them be able to get into the NCAA tournament based on them winning the ACC conference tournament last year. I think they would probably need to make the final in order to have any sort of a shot as well. How do you feel the bracketology of the ACC? Because I think it's a big, giant mess at this point. Based on some of the other results that that's occurred, I I think Pittsburgh is in a spot almost similar to Wake Forest, where they're in that five spot. And Wake Forest, they lost that first round, their their second round game last year, and it ended up taking taking them to the NIT, even though they were a team a lot of us thought were safe. And I think Pittsburgh, their metrics are not the greatest, which which hurts them. They do have the quality wins and they have the road wins. But on the bubble, their their team were those two bad losses to FSU and Notre Dame could hurt them. So I think them going up against potentially Florida State, who they lost to earlier, if they lose to them again, which would be, I believe, a quad four defeat, that's going to put them on the cut line. So they're a team that, that I think if they win their first game and get to Duke, they'll be fine. You look at Clemson, I think a case can be made that Clemson might have to get to at least a title game because they'll take on, assuming without upset, NC State in the quarters. What against them will be okay, but not life-changing, and then they'd have to go up against Virginia. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a scenario where North Carolina and Clemson faces off in the ACC semifinals where it could be easily an elimination game or play your way in. We, all, we usually have a couple of those during championship week, and I think that could be a scenario that's very plausible to happen. So the bottom half of that bracket, I think, is going to be very intriguing, and there's always going to be surprises. I mean, Boston College, 
assuming Quentin Post can come back, has shown to be formidable. Georgia Tech's won five of their last seven. And Florida State, they have glimpses where they can be competitive and other times where they can get blown out. So there's going to be some crazy things that happen in the ACC. The question is, will it be good or bad for the conference with their overall bracketology? There's a lot of intrigue with this conference. As you're joining me on the podcast, we do have Tristan Freeman. And we remember the ACC last year was talked about as a conference that was way down. Nobody's any good from the ACC and everything like that. And we saw two teams be able to make the final four and play against one another. Three teams make the Elite Eight. I think both of us would agree if that happens once again, that would be very, very crazy and that would be unexpected. But how do you think this conference can do on the national landscape? Because the biggest thing for me that is holding me from really thinking that the ACC can make some noise this year is the defense with only two teams in the top 75 in terms of just raw points allowed on a per possession basis. I just take a look around this conference and I don't think these teams have enough defense to really make a big run in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, but I mean, you can argue the same thing last year. I mean, last year's teams, North Carolina, Miami, and, and Duke weren't elite juggernauts defensively either, but they all made their runs primarily because of the guard play. And I think the guards this year in the ACC is even better. Assuming North Carolina State and Pittsburgh get in, they all have veteran backcourses capable of winning games. Miami, obviously, with Pack and Wong. And then Duke's finally healthy, and they're, they've quietly won six straight. And they're a team that you know, may not have been the top five overall team that people expected coming in, but the freshman's playing well. Derek Lively's finally shown, at least on the defensive end, his potential. And if you can get some good production out of Derek Whitehead and Jeremy Roach doesn't have a stinker, then Duke's going to be hard to beat. And quite frankly, who out there is going to be a team that can't lose in the NCAA tournament? We've seen weaknesses from the, the top seeds, Houston and Purdue, you've seen Alabama fall. I mean, quite frankly, if you if you take on any Big Ten team, you're going to feel fairly comfortable at this point that you can advance. So could the ACC fall in space in the tournament? Absolutely. But I wouldn't necessarily bet against it just because there's issues with them. Because quite frankly, there's just issues with the entire field of 68 to this point. That we wholeheartedly agree with, Tristan. I think that this is a year which the matchups themselves are going to be determining who the NCAA title winner is. I know that a lot of people have Houston as a very narrow number one, but we saw them get taken to the brink against Memphis. Granted, they did have the lead for much of that game on Sunday, but I do fear that Houston, a team that hasn't necessarily played the world's greatest competition in the American, we saw them when they had to play a little bit of a better team in Alabama. They lost that game. They were able to pull a game out against Virginia, but we have seen Virginia have a little bit of a fall off as well. I just take a look at this entire landscape, and I do think that it's going to be a case of matchups make fights. I'm not sure if there's one or two teams that you think might be least prone to an early round upset because for me, that team is UCLA, but I take a look at this entire landscape and I can't say, oh yeah, there's teams that are issuing to be able to make the second weekend of the tournament because I do think that all these teams certainly have their warts. And one thing to look out for is who's going to be the eight, nine seeds because you have teams like Kentucky, Illinois, potentially Duke, if they lose early in ACC tournament, that could fall in that range and are extremely talented. And while these are teams that may not have the consistency to win four games in March, make it to the Final Four, they absolutely, in a one-off scenario, can pull off an upset. If you, if you get 
Illinois against Houston. They have the athleticism match up with that backcourt. I could see that being a game too. So, and I think I think everyone mentally is just going to be so upset heavy where it might end up being the opposite where we could have more chalk than usual because even the teams that are still on the lower seeds, they're there for a reason. They have their own issues. So who knows how it's going to work out, but there's definitely fewer certainties than we've had before. Oh, I'm right there with you. It has been ridiculous to see what we've all been getting this year. And is there perhaps that one or two teams that you do take a look at and you do think that they've got a lot of ways to win? I referenced them a little bit earlier, but UCLA is really that one team for me. I want to be checking in on that Jalen Clark injury that we saw on Saturday, but I do feel like they're solid in the post. They do a nice job with their defense. They don't hurt themselves. They're a good team. I know that we've talked about Houston and the step up in competition, but I think that they're one of the teams are least prone to a flame out just because they do always do a nice job on the glass. Even in a bad shooting night, you know that the defense is going to be there for them as well. Are there a few teams that you look at and not that they're going to win the NCAA tournament or anything like that? We're in agreement that it's a case where it's a very wide open year, but you think that they're least likely to just completely lay an egg in March. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned UCLA. They are my preseason title pick, so I don't have any reason, you know, barring anything serious with the Jalen Clark injury, to go away from them now. I would say if you look at, it'll be interesting to see what the Big 12 teams does, because even though in the case of the ACC, when a lot of, you know, quote-unquote average teams are beating up on each other, the Big 12 could have just been a whole bunch of teams that had great metrics in a non-conference, and it was just beating up on each other too. But maybe a few of them are a little more overrated. Like, I, you know, TCU is, at, for their standards, healthy. But they've been losing games. And it's going to be tricky because they might end up being a seventh seed with the talent of a two seed. They're a team that has all the capabilities of making a run because if you can score 80 points without making threes, then, then you have the firepower. But it's going to be interesting Because if you wanted to pick teams to go deep, you might pick a couple of Big 12 programs. Even Texas, even though they have an interim head coach that hasn't seemed to have affected them yet. But it might be a case where UCLA, Houston, and then whichever two Big 12 teams you trust the most, you may off the ride with them based on where they get placed in the bracket. There is a lot of intrigue. And Tristan, I'll put you on the spot because I know that you were talking up Duke a little bit. Is there a team that you take a look at from the ACC that you think is most likely to be able to make a run nationally. I do take a look at this conference, and I'm sort of in agreement with you because I do think that Duke has the highest ceiling. I've liked what I've seen of Derek Lively in the post. If Derek Whitehead can give them some three-point shooting, I think that they could be a very fascinating team. But I do think that this entire ACC is interesting, and if given the right matchup, a team like a Miami even – your guys over there at Pittsburgh, I think, could win a game or two in the NCAA tournament. Who's your team that you think from the ACC is most likely to make a little bit of noise in the big dance? For me, it's Miami. And obviously, all the talk has gone with Wong and Pack, but I tweeted out this morning my picks for ACC Player of the Year, and I gave it to Jordan Miller, who, who's been their best player in, in league play. And he's quietly been fantastic, averaging over 15 a game and giving them offense from all over the court. And North Chad O'Meara is averaging a double-double. It's not as gaudy as they were at Arkansas State, but he's been a fantastic power conference player. They have the inside game. They have the shooting. They have the ability to, to score. And then we have guys like Wuga Poplar, who went off against Pittsburgh, and Harlan Beverly. Now they have depth. And I think they're a team 
in some ways are probably even more equipped to make the run than he did last year because now you have the front court presence of Omir that can give you a double-double without any issue. Miami has been such an interesting team. If they can get back to the way that they were generating steals last year, because I thought that that was such a big key for them making their run, I am in agreement with you. They've been not generating as many this year as they have in past years, but they're very good at being able to hold on to the ball. They're very wise with the ball. Not quite as wise as Tristan Freeman is with his college basketball coverage. Joke. Tristan, you do an amazing job covering the sport that we all know and love. I know you're hard at work over there at Boston Brackets, and I know there is a ton on tap for you. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all working on these next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at Hoopsnut351. You can also follow uh, my site at Boston Brackets on Twitter. And we're just going to be previewing all the conference tournaments this week and looking ahead to Selection Sunday, which is at this point literally just seven days away and one hour less thanks to Daylight Savings Time. Oh, absolutely. Ed. That is one of the things I honestly dislike a little bit about the timing. On some of the most important days of the year, you lose an hour. So it just makes the workload more and more. But a man that is going to be super duper hard at work Taking a look at all this is Tristan Freeman. Every single time he joins me on this podcast, delivers great insights, much like he did today. A big thanks to Tristan for joining me on Coast to Coast. He's now part of the Visa Family Podcast and coming back. It is that time of the podcast. I give you fix and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we have some big shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste the all-new infinity qx80 is unlike any luxury suv you've ever seen smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Custom Guest Soups with myself, Craig Eaps Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Tristan Freeman does absolutely amazing work over at Boston Brackets, taking a look at the great game of college basketball. The ACC tournament is going to be a rambunctious one among the Power Conference tournaments, and it's one of the first ones that tips off because, well, the ACC is so gosh darn big that they do need to extend it out a little bit longer, but he does an amazing job taking a look at all things ACC, all things Pittsburgh basketball, and every single time he joins this podcast, lends tremendous insights, much like he did today. A big thanks to Tristan for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRS41. Also do know that a lot of these games are not going to have numbers on them just because with many of these conference tournaments, it's a situation where books do not post up a number until the AM with a lot of these teams having to play the day before in case of injury, what have you, and let's call it what it is. Some of these books are just lazy and don't post up numbers, so that is going to be the case all week long, unfortunately, but with that said, we're going to have some fun taking a look at these, and I've always got my handicap like 
for 861-862 on the betting board. It is the Colonial Semifinal in Washington, D.C. UNC Wilmington and Hofstra are going to be doing battle. No numbers currently up on this game, but I've got my handicap. Set Hofstra as a 5.5 point favorite and made a total of 130.5. So, one to lay up to 5 with Hofstra. And at 6 or more, I'd be willing to take the points with UNC Wilmington. 130 or less, looking over 131 or higher to the under. It's a UNC Wilmington team that... No doubt about it, they've been one of your slowest teams at all of college basketball. Among the 363 D1 teams, this team is clocking in in the bottom 65 in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, you've got an officer team that is more of a mid-tempo team, but has really been batting down the hatches with their defense. Officer right around 218th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but... Just take a look at this Hofstra team, and the defense is absolutely stifling. This team has given up now 65 points or fewer in each of their last eight games, and they've given up north of 70 points twice this calendar year. The last time these two teams played, Hofstra completely took it to UNC Wilmington. I counted 70 to 46. I don't think that we're going to see that sort of domination this time around. First time these two teams played, it was Aaron Estrada along Tyler Thomas that really took over the game for Hofstra. They were able to combine for 45 points, and I think that there's a chance that they can do something similar. Thomas for the season, averaging 16 points, she's 40% from three. Aaron Estrada, 20.5 points, 5.5 boards, 4 assists, she's 36.5% from three. If there is one bugaboo with Hofstra, it's that they don't necessarily have that one true low post presence. You do have four separate guys that give you at least 4.4 rebounds per game, and six guys that do give you at least 3.7 rebounds per game, including a guy in Jaquan Carlos, who's been able to do a nice job throwing out right around five assists per contest. He has not been much of a scorer, but does a good job of helping out everyone else. And then you've got Nelson, Bayachi, Idiom, along with Watt Williams combining for about nine rebounds per game down low. But I think that that's where UNC Wilmington holds in this game. Terzarian White, 14 points, five and a half boards, steal per contest. It's a hot UNC Wilmington team that overall, they shoot about 34% from three, but got so many guys that really just know their role. Shaikim Phillips has not been able to shoot threes to save his life, but in at points, two assists, steal and a half per contest. Everyone around White just really knows their role. As you've got Malik Cardenas, Amari Kelly, Jamari Thomas, Donovan Newby. I'll give him between 7.2 and 9.8 points per game with Kelly, Newby, and Hayes. All shooting between 37.5 and 38.5% from three-point range. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a nip-and-tuck game. It is a Hofstra team that has really been able to do a significantly better job with their defense, but make no mistake about it. This is a Hofstra team that has also been really good with their offense. It's Hofstra has been able to get to at least 68 points in now all but one of their last nine games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring affair, especially with UNC Wilmington showing some cracks with their defense, giving up at least 68 points for their last five games. 130 or less looking over, 131 or higher to the under end. With Astra, one to life to five with them, six or more taking the points with Wilmington. No numbers up on 863-864. Dawson and Charleston do battle out there in the Colonial. I did set Charleston as a seven half point favorite, so I'm willing to lay up to seven with them, eight or more. I'm going to be one take the points with Towson. It's a Towson team that has been playing at a very slow control pace themselves as they're in the bottom 85 of the country in terms of total possessions per game. College of Charleston, well, they're not that. They are more around 47th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, though. I will say for Towson, even though overall for the season this has been a slower team, I've noticed that Towson has been able to kick up the tempo by about five possessions per game in their four games going into yesterday. Now, I don't know how many possessions in total they played yesterday. Typically, that's data I get after the game, but it is a Towson team that has been playing a little bit more up-tempo. You've been able to have 
Nicholas Timberlake brings Sexy back. He's been able to give the team 17.5 points, 2.5 assists, draining over 40% of his threes. Entered in yesterday with 26 plus points in 3 out of his last 4 games. And Cam Holden, he is going to be the most versatile player out there on the floor. How about 14.5 points, 7 boards, 4.8 assists, 1.7 steals per game for a Towson team that they do shoot 37% from 3 par range. But they are going into just a completely dominant defense. Charleston entering into yesterday 24th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis in a road slash shoot record environment, this is a top 20 team. And you do have, for the Charleston team, just everyone knowing their role. They've got pretty much a nine-man rotation. You don't have that one dominant guy. Ryan Larson has been your main facilitator with a little bit over four assists per game. And then you've been able to get some good rebounding down low out of someone like a Bubba Carfay, who's been able to give you a little bit over five rebounds per game. But with Charleston, really your top scorer, Dalton Boland, he only gives you about 13 points per game. Just everyone being able to contribute to the collective, doing a nice job on defense, forcing some steals, getting some second chances. This is a really well-rounded team. Meanwhile, Towson, they just don't necessarily have as much of a bench, which is why they do have to go a little bit slower. I do think that Charleston is going to be able to get their tempo, much like the last game that we saw. Last time these two teams matched up, both teams got to 75-plus with Charleston being able to get the job done by a count of 83-75. to 75. So that does lead into my handicap of this game of the total being 146 half, 146 or less. Going to be taking a look at the over 147 or higher to the under Towson that first time around. Shot 9-20 to 20 from 3 point range and you did see a combined 28 turnovers in that game. It was Charleston who had 35 free throw attempts. I think that that's going to be a little bit more team. And with Charleston, I do think that they're going to be able to win by a similar margin. 7 or less, I'm going to be one to lay it with Charleston. 8 or more, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Towson. 865, 866 on the betting board. It is Louisiana and they're going to be taking on South Alabama. This for the Sunbelt title. No numbers currently up on this game, but I've got my handicap. I did set Louisiana as a favorite of four points, and I did make my total a 140. So a 139.5 or less looking at the over 140.5 or higher. Going to be taking a look at this total under. Last time these two teams played, it was a wrap up the regular season out in the Sunbelt, and Louisiana got the job done 74 to 64 in a game of which. They buried just two of their 16 threes for Louisiana. I do think that they are going to be able to match up very well with Kevin Samuel. has been rock solid down low for South Alabama. Being able to give the team nearly 10 points, a little bit over 9 rebounds, 2 blocks per contest. But Jordan Brown is a former McDonald's All-American who is supplying 19.5 points, 8.5 boards, 1.3 blocks per contest himself. He's a little bit more skilled. He's a little bit more versatile. And then you got Terrence Lewis who's been able to do a great job of being able to help out down low with his 11 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. Louisiana is not going to shoot that badly from three-point range once again. Overall for the season, entering into yesterday, shooting 37.5% from the outside. Kentrell Garnett is shooting a little bit over 42% from three. He gives the team 6.7 points per game. Craig Lewis, 13.5 points and assists and a half per game. And then you've got Famous Folks, who's been able to give you six assists per contest for Louisiana overall for the season. This team ranks right around 200th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but that is a number that is very quickly ascending, as this team has been able to do a much better job with their defense recently, giving up 67 points or fewer in three of their last five games, entering into yesterday. Meanwhile, you've got a bunch on the flip side in South Alabama that they themselves are in the top one in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They were clocking in 
right around about 85th going into yesterday. That should go up a little bit with the win that they had over James Madison yesterday. But for South Alabama, I don't know if they're going to be able to bury enough shots to be able to hold in this game if they continue to rebound like that. Because you do have Isaiah Moore, who does give you more. He's able to give out just over 4.5 assists per contest. He's been able to supply 18.5 points per game. He, for the season, though, shooting 19% from three-point range. You have had Owen White, along with Judah Brown, both shoot a little bit north of 40% from three-point range. Brown is able to give you about 6.5 points per game. White, 9 points four rebounds per game, but outside of Kevin Samuel, there's not a single guy on the roster that entered in yesterday. Averaging more than four rebounds per game, it's one of those holes greater than some of its parts approaches, and you do have a South Alabama team that's going to be looking to get a more slow control pace. South Alabama entered in yesterday, 293rd in the country. There's the total possessions per game. Now, Louisiana, they're not looking to run in and gun it either. They're right around 155th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, so I do think that this is going to be a relatively middle of the the road sort of game. You saw 138 points put up on the board the last time these two teams played. I do think that Louisiana going to be a little bit warmer from three-point range, but at the same time, I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a slower tempo game just because these two teams are playing three games in three days as well. So I did set my total at a 140, 139 and a half or less. I'm going to be taking a look at the over 140 and a half or higher. Going to be taking a look at the under and with Louisiana. Willing to lay up to three and a half with them, four and a half or more. I'm going to be taking the points with South Alabama. 867, 860 on the betting board, it is Chattanooga, and they're going to be playing against Furman. This is for the SoCon Championship. No numbers up on this game, doing this just after Chattanooga was able to get the job done, was able to survive in advance against Wofford, but this is a line that I made Furman being a six-point favorite with a total of 148. I did shade this number down just a little bit because of the fact that Furman did have to utilize overtime in order to survive in advance against Western Carolina, but I do think that this is a Furman team that is by far just better in this circumstance. You've got so many different scoring options for this team as J.P. Pigs along with Marcus Foster both give between 11 and 11.5 points per game. Pigs has been able to give you four assists per game. And each of your top three scores for Furman dole out at least three assists per contest. Good versatility and good balance for a Furman team that out of their top seven scores, every one of them shoots at least 34.7% from three down. You've only got one that shoots really north of 38.5% from three-point range. That would be Garrett Hine, who's been able to give you eight points per game. But all these guys really know the role. Jalen's loss and good versatility, 15.5 points, seven boards, three assists, 1.7 seals per game. We are seeing, though, that Chattanooga is getting such a big bump from having Jake Stevens out there. And I think any team would benefit from having a seven-footer that's able to average 20 points, 10 rebounds, she's 40% per three, and gives you multiple blocks per contest. That goes without saying, but the rest of the team around him just doesn't necessarily hold up their end of the bargain. I do like what I've been seeing out of Dalvin White. He's able to give you nine and a half points. She's right around 42% per three-point range. Jamal Johnson, he's able to do a solid job. He's able to give you about 13 and a half points. Chips in their four boards. He's been shooting right around 40% for three-point range as well, but entering into yesterday, this Chattanooga team just a complete and utter nightmare with regards to their defense, and it is a SoCon in which does have some very dynamic offenses, but we've really been seeing it from them all season long. 287th in the country. Terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Furman, they leave a little bit of something to be desired on this front as well. Entered into yesterday, 165th of the country. Terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis with that overtime game against Western Carolina probably went up even more, but for Furman, you've got significantly more depth. I do think that they're going to do a nice job of being able to take Jake Stevens away. The last time these two 
two teams played with Stevens out there on the floor because the other game was without for a minute the road. They got a 77-69 win in that one. In that game, Chattanooga went just 8-29 of from three-point range. And Furman, they themselves were 7-27 from three-point range, but Furman was able to win the turnover battle. They lost the rebound battle by just four, so they were able to hang in there on that front as well. And I do think that Furman, just the more well-rounded team, I did once again make about a point adjustment due to the fact that Furman did have to play in overtime yesterday. So it is a total they set at 148, 147.5 or less, looking at the over 148 or higher. Taking a look at the under and Furman, made them a six-point favorite, one to lay up to 5.5 with Furman, 6.5 or more. Going to be taking a look at the points with Chattanooga. 869-870 on the betting board. You've got Northern Kentucky playing against Youngstown State. This is from the great state of Indiana for the Ryzen League Tournament, and we do have numbers up on this game. Youngstown State is a two and a half to a three point favorite. I'm seeing a straight two out there as well. And your total on this game, it is between 139 and 139 and a half. And I did say Youngstown State is a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the two and a half to three with Youngstown State. This team is a top 10 team nationally in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But we've got to give credit where credit is due. This Youngstown State team has been able to do a little bit of a better job on defense as well. They've given up 66 points or fewer in three out of their last five games, and for that matter, they have given up 72 points or fewer in regulation because they played that harebrained double overtime game against Wright State and now eight out of their last 11 games as well. Young South State does a solid job on the glass. Malik Green, along with Adrian Nelson, have been able to combine for about 16.5 rebounds per game. They both give you between 13.5 and 14 points per game. Dwayne Cole, he's a guy that really manufactures this offense. An offense that shoots 77.6% on the free line, 37.5% for three. Cole, 17.8 points, 4.9 assists, half. 44.5% three-point shooter. Now, they go up against the Northern Kentucky team that, in terms of possessions per 40 minutes because they have also played a lot of very interesting overtime games, which is why I do need to use that moniker. They're a bottom 25 team in the country in terms of possessions per 40 minutes. And for Northern Kentucky, they're right around 1 or 10th of the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis. Defense has been a little bit more leaky for them, but that's because they face off against Oakland twice, giving up 69-plus in both of those games. If you take out the two Oakland games because they are a little bit more of an airbrained team. This team has given up fewer than 70 points and now five out of their last seven games excluding those Oakland games. So I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job holding up down low, especially with Chris Brandon being able to give you 9.6 rebounds per game. But really the key for Northern Kentucky is getting those turnovers that Young Sun State has not committed throughout much of the year. Sam Vincent, Marquise Warwick, Combined for 3.7 steals per game, Vincent 11.5 points, shoots 34% for three. Warwick, a very good scorer, 19 points, shoots nearly 40% from three. Xavier Rhodes has shot 40% from the outside. He gives you 7.5 points per game. You've got a good, well-rounded Northern Kentucky team that doesn't really turn the ball over themselves. 11.7 turnovers per game, but they do shoot just 68.5% of the free throw line. That is a little bit of a bugaboo. This has been a Northern Kentucky team that's been all over the place with their offense. And last time these two teams played, Youngstown Sabre was able to take it to Northern Kentucky. 74-56 to was the final on that one. That was a game where Youngstown State actually lost a turnover battle by four. That was a 10-6 to differential, but Youngstown State did a better job on the glass. Really, other than Chris Brandon, you don't have a ton for Northern Kentucky at being able to hit the boards. Meanwhile, Youngstown State, they do a little bit of a better job of rebounding by committee. And Brandon Rush, his 14 points per game, I think are going to be massive. He led the team in scoring with 18 that first time around. I think that you just have more options with this Youngstown State team for 
for both scoring and rebounding, which is why I did set them as a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I've been impressed by the way that Youngstown State has been able to be a little bit more well-rounded with their defense, and I do think that Northern Kentucky, much like they did the first time around, going to get a little bit of a slower pace on my total 135 and a half, so diving under and willing to lay with Youngstown State. Now we have my DK and H pick. This is 871-872 on the betting board. Cleveland State is going to be playing against UW-Milwaukee. Most books have this as Cleveland State being a three-point favorite. I'm seeing a straight two and a half out there as well. Your total, that is any between 148 and 148 and a half. I did make my total 147, so this is going to be a scenario where I do take a look at the under, but right up here, that is going to be on UW-Milwaukee. If money line prices are available, I will write up the money line. If not, I'm just going to take the plus two and a half to plus three. Now, there's always that narrative of, oh, it's so hard to beat a team three times in the same year and everything like that. Jordan Sperber, I remember, did a good research on this in the decade previous. So from 2010 to 2019, in games where the team won both of the matchups previous in time number three, the team that won the first two matchups won the third time 72% of the time. We're getting UW-Milwaukee as an underdog, and they're going up against a Cleveland State team that is 355th in all of college basketball in terms of defensive rebound rate. In a road-slash-shoot-record environment, opponents are pulling in an offensive rebound on about 34.4% of their misses, and you've got the top scorer out there on the floor in B.J. Freeman. B.J. Freeman overall for the year, a little bit over 17 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists per game, but you take a look at the way that he has been performing since New Year's Eve, and he has been absolutely on one since that game. So the last 18 in total, he's averaging 21.9 points, 6 rebounds, 3.9 assists on 36.1% three-point shooting while averaging 8.23 attempts per game. This includes 55 points in the two times that they squared off against Cleveland State. Cleveland State got outdone on the boards by 7 when they played against UW-Milwaukee in those two times. Now, UW-Milwaukee did lose the turnover battle by 7, and that's the big issue that you do have with UW-Milwaukee. They're a bottom 50 team in the country in terms of turnovers on a possession basis. Meanwhile, Cleveland State in a road slash shoot record environment a top 25 team in terms of turnovers for us on a per possession basis but Cleveland State I think is going to have a little bit of a tough time being able to win that battle on the boards. Now both of these teams rebound by committee. The top rebounder in this game is Tristan Irenura. He's on the side of Cleveland State. 15 half points 6 half boards, a block, a steal per game and for that matter Cleveland State has each of their top 4 scores giving at least a steal per game as Deshaun Parker along with Tate Williams, Drew Lauder these three guys have been able to combine for about 31 points per contest You've got Parker who's able to give you four assists to two turnovers per game. Williams is able to give you six boards, but really don't have a lot of three-point shooting either with Cleveland State. Cleveland State as a whole, they shoot 30.4% from three away from home. That diminishes to 29.1%. And for you to be Milwaukee, among their top six scorers, five of them do give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. That includes Armand Rand, who's able to give you a little bit over two blocks per contest. Marquise Browning has been able to do a nice job giving you right around 10 points, a trio of assists per game. Kentrell Pullian has been able to supply 11 points. He shoots 40% from three-point range as well. Cleveland State has been a little bit of a better team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And in the two games that these two teams played, you had one over, one under, which is why I do go a little bit more towards the middle with regards to the total. UW-Milwaukee, one of the fastest teams in all of college basketball. They are 17th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Cleveland State, 232nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game, though we have seen them speed up a little bit more. It is a Cleveland State team that they have been able to get to at least 
70 points in four of their last five games. But last time these two teams hooked up, UW-Milwaukee got the job done 81-72 to in that game. Cleveland State did shoot just three of 20 from three. I think that they're going to be a little bit better in this spot, but I also don't think UW-Milwaukee is going to turn the ball over 23 times. What I do think is going to be holding true is the fact that UW-Milwaukee won that rebound battle by seven. They've got the best score out there on the floor. I like UW-Milwaukee outright in this spot as a result. That is going to be my DK Nation pick. Might turn into a scenario where I just need to take the small amount of points because money lines are not available, but DK Nation right up that is on UW-Milwaukee. Semi-12, 147, Milwaukee has been able to do a relatively fair job with their defense, giving up 72 or fewer in their two games entering into this one. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot and my write-up. That is on UW-Milwaukee. 793-794 on the betting board. It is Oral Roberts and they are going to be playing against St. Thomas. This is out there in a Sioux Falls, South Dakota. No numbers currently up on this game doing this just after St. Thomas was able to survive in advance, but with Oral Roberts, I did set them as an 11.5 point favorite. I made my total 151.5, so 151 or less looking over, 152 or higher to the under, and willing to lay up to 11 with Oral Roberts, 12 or more is going to be a take for me on St. Thomas. Last time these two teams played, St. Thomas held in there on their home floor. That was a 95-88 to complete slobber knocker in which both teams were knocking down shots first time around. It was 81-69. to Oral Roberts was able to get the win. The Oral Roberts was in control of much of that game. I do think that St. Thomas is going to be able to do a nice job of being able to stay within themselves. They've shot it well from three-point range both times in which they have played against Oral Roberts, but I just do fear that Oral Roberts and having Connor Vanover is going to be too much for the St. Thomas team. St. Thomas has one guy that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game, or Barker Jorklin, who's been able to do a nice job. 14 and a half points, right around five boards. He's able to shoot 37 half percent from three, and Oral Roberts stays within themselves. Really, both of these teams do. St. Thomas, just 9.9 turnovers per game. In terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, that's one of the top marks in all of college basketball. Oral Roberts had a significantly faster tempo, 9.3 turnovers per game. Oral Roberts, in the top five nationally, in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, Oral Roberts, they're looking to run a little bit more. They're not playing at some sort of a rambunctious pace, but it certainly is not St. Thomas, who is 294th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You've got an Oral Roberts team that's closer to 75th. It is a St. Thomas team that just has not been able to guard their own shadow all season long. They're in the bottom 75 nationally in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and this Oral Roberts team has really been able to crank it up with their defense. They're now in the top 100 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis the same. You just have so much good balance with this Oral Roberts team because you do have Max Aspis, that main headline scorer. He's been able to do a nice job being able to give you 22.5 points, shoot 37.5% from three-point range, but then you've got pretty much out of your top seven scores, everyone except for Connor Vanover, seven foot five by the way, giving you 13 points, seven rebounds per game, all shooting at least 35.9% for three, and Vanover still shoots 34.6% from three-point range. Having a pair of guys like Patrick Mwamba along with Kareem Thompson, both give you five and a half rebounds per game. I do think that that's big. St. Thomas probably creeping back in the top 275 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis with their showing yesterday against Western Illinois. You do have a guy in Riley Miller is able to give you 15 points. He's nearly 40% from three, but I do not think it's going to be enough, and I do think the Oral Roberts, with the way that they've really been able to ascend on defense, is going to be able to keep this a little bit lower scoring than the previous times that these two teams have squared off with one another. It's an Oral Roberts team that does enter having given up 70 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, so it is a circumstance where I said I told 151.5 or less looking over 152 or higher to the under of Thor Roberts willing to lay up to 11 with them 12 or more taking the points with St. Thomas 
875-876 on the betting board. Battle of Dakotas, North Dakota State, and it's South Dakota State do battle. My numbers have South Dakota State as a five-point favorite and a total of 141. 4.5 for less, I'm willing to lay away with South Dakota State. 5.5 for more, taking the points with North Dakota State. And it is a big-time rivalry matchup, but I do take a look at the South Dakota State team, and they've been able to ascend a little bit more with their defense. Not like this team has become all of a sudden one of the legions of boom or anything like that, but you know what? They're up to 160th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and giving up 3.5 points less per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home for South Dakota State. They've got that made online guy, Zeke Mayo, 18 points, 6.3 rebounds, 3.5 assists, shoots 37% from 3 point range, and they've dealt with injuries all season long to Charlie Easley along with Alex Arians. They're combined for 16.8 points. Both of these guys are healthy. You've got Easley shooting 46% three Arians more around 40% from the outside and each of your top four scorers for South Dakota State do all the in there at least 4.8 rebounds per game including William Kyle is able to give you a block per contest Matt Detlinger is able to give you 12 and a half points five and a half rebounds per game the one thing that could give South Dakota State some headaches is the fact that this North Dakota State team doesn't do a good job of being able to hit the glass as you've got someone in Grant Nelson who's got very ideal size at right around six foot ten six foot eleven he's able to supply you with in the neighborhood about seven 15 and a half points, chips in there, nine rebounds. He's able to give you a little bit over a block. Like the last time these two teams played, that was the South Dakota State 90 to 85 win. Nelson had 27 points and 15 rebounds in that game. They do need a little bit more out of Alex Morgan, who had just two rebounds in that game. Overall, the six foot ten combo player has been able to do a nice job being able to give you 10 and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game, but he's been dealing with a little bit of injury down the stretch as well. So he's been playing a lot of limited minutes. You've been able to get a little bit more out of some of these guys, like a Trey Jarvis. Miller along Jakari White. They've come on strong down the stretch with Miller. He's able to shoot about 36% from three-point range. He gives you about eight points per contest. White just under eight points per game, shooting about 37% from three-point range. And then Bowden Skenberg has been able to shoot nearly 40% from three. He's been rock solid for this North Dakota State team. But at their core, North Dakota State is a team that's looking to play a little bit more slowly. South Dakota State is looking to play a little bit more fast. And for much of the year, these two teams have been sort of the opposite. But North Dakota State has been able to hunker down a little bit more with their defense. South Dakota State has been able to get back to their good, free-flowing offense. And South Dakota State in conference has really been able to kick it down with regards to their turnovers. They were one of the worst teams that take care of the ball out of conference. Now they've been able to rectify that quite a bit more and as a result, I did set a little bit of a middle of the road total. I certainly don't think that this is going to be quite like the 90-85 to game that we saw on February first time these two teams played. It was also 65-59. to I don't think we're going to be quite seeing that either. So, I did set South Dakota State as a 5-point favor. 1-8 to lay up to 4.5 with them. 5.5 for more taking the points with the Bison and somebody total at 141. So, 140.5 or less looking at the over 141 and a half or higher going to be taking a look at this total under. 877, 878 on the betting board. Idaho State is going to be playing against Montana. This is from Boise, Idaho and Montana is a 5 to a 5.5 point favorite with your total 131.5 to 132. I did set my total 131. I'm going to be diving under now. Montana's defense does take a little bit of a nosedive when they leave home in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Overall this year it is a Montana team that ranks outside the top 225 and you really do have some demonstrative home and roads but it's for Montana. They are giving up right around 11.2 points more per one-hour possessions when they leave home. Not like this is an Idaho State team that 
is doing a lockdown job with their defense either turn 64th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 7.6 points more per one hour possessions when they are in a roadside shoot record environment. But I do default to Montana just because I do think that they're going to be able to do a better job on the glass. Idaho State does not have a single player that gives you north of 4.7 rebounds per game. That'd be Braden Parker. And it supplies that Parker's been able to do a nice job being able to give you about 11.5 points per game as well. Miguel Tomley, Brock McKenzie, these two guys give you a combined about 24.5 points. And combined for just under four assists per game. And you do have McKenzie shooting about 40% from three-point range. But you do take a look at Montana having the duo of Josh Bannon and Aiden Moody. And I do think that that's going to be able to win the day for them. And combined 30.1 points. Bannon at 6'10 gives you 8.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists. She's 42.5% from three. Moody shoots 41.8% from three-point range. Deshaun Thomas, good versatility. He shoots 37.5% from the outside, 11 points per contest. Both of these teams are a little bit top-heavy with the production that they get. Neither of these teams are going to be going too deep into their bench. That's reflected in the fact that neither of these teams are going to be playing at a breakneck pace either. For Idaho State, in terms of total possessions per game, they're hovering right around 235th of Montana. They are one of these slow teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball, 349th. But I do take a look at this Montana team. I do think that they are starting to play some significantly better defense. I recognize that a lot of these games have been at home, but for Montana, the last time they gave up north of 72 points in a game, you have to go all the way back to when they played against Northern Colorado on January 7th. And the two times that these two teams played, well, Montana was able to get the job done both times. Most recently, a 69-61 win in the month of February. Now, Montana on the road shot 10 of 18 from three-point range. I don't think that, that is going to be duplicating itself. Also, I don't think that Idaho State is going to win that rebound battle by 15 like they did in that matchup as well. So I do think that things are going to be a little bit more ironed out. I've got some serious question marks when it comes to this Idaho offense. 65 points or fewer for Idaho State in two out of their last four games. Montana has really been able to do a nice job reining things in with their defense getting their slow, grimy style. So I did set Montana as a seven-point favorite. They just have better facilitation in general. I think that that's going to be able to win out in this spot. So wanted to lay the five here with Montana. So I told 131, so you're 132. Also diving under. 879, 880 on the betting board. Weber State and Sacramento State to battle. Sacramento State is a two to two and a half point underdog with your total between 125 and 125 and a half. So Weber State is a two and a half point favorite. I'm mostly seeing twos out there. I'm going to be willing to lay the deuce with Weber State. They are a little bit of a top-heavy team in that Dylan Jones just does a little bit of everything. And this guy, he stands right around six foot six. He has been the team's leader in points and rebounds with 16 and a half points, 11 boards, doles out 3.8 assists, steal and a half per contest. I mean, he has had a double-double in four of the team's last five games that he has put up at least 21 points in each of the last four contests as well. Big thing is being able to find those ancillary pieces to be able to help him out. Steven Verplanken has been able to give you 13 points. He shoots about 42% from three-point range. Junior Ballard, it's about 34% from threes, chipping in their 7.5 points per game. Nobody outside of Jones does give you north of 3.8 rebounds per game, but it's a Weber State team that does have the guys outside of Jones doing a good job with their on-ball defending. That is reflected in the fact that Weber State is now, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, inside the top 175. They don't have too much of a fall-off when they do leave home, only giving up 1.8 points more per one hour possessions in a roadside shoot record environment. Meanwhile, you've got a Sacramento State team that has been playing at one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball, and that has not really led to them 
being able to do a great job on defense. They are 275th in the country turns points allowed on a per-possession basis. The only reason why they don't give up more points is because they rank 337th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. It's a Weber State team that they're right at home playing a little bit of a slower game, 297th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. Now, what Sacramento State does have is Colin McCray. He's 7'1", 12.8 points, 9.3 rebounds. He's able to give you about a block per contest. There's just nobody that's able to match up with him for Weber State, and you do have some good three-point shooting with this Sacramento State team as well. Alex Patterson, Zach Chappell both shoot 35.7% from three. Patterson gives you 7.7 points per contest. Chappell, 13.5 points per game. And then G&I Hunt, 7.3 boards, 3.5 assists, steal per contest. He shoots 36.5% from three, but Sacramento State with their slow, grimy style, 13.3 turnovers a game. That's far too many. Weber State, they have a tough time taking care of the ball as well. 12.9, but I do think that Weber State just has a little bit too much versatility with having Mr. Jones. Last time these two teams played in mid-February, Weber State went on the road, got a 52-49 win on a night where they shot just 2 of 12 from 3 par range because they won the turnover battle by 1. They were able to play even up on the glass. They were able to get just enough out of the ancillary pieces outside of Jones, who had 13 points, 13 rebounds on that night. I do think that Weber State going to be able to do it once again. Weber State, aside from that harebrained overtime game that they played against Northern Arizona, they did a relatively solid job with their defense in the month of February. I do think that that's going to be lingering, and I do think that this is going to continue to be a Sacramento State team that plays relatively slow, grimy. Sacramento State has scored 70-plus points in three out of their last four games, but I do think that that's more of an anomaly than anything else. And for the Sacramento State team, to their credit, they have been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to lock down on defense as well as this bunch has given up 65 points or fewer in three out of their last five games, and they have given up 70 points or fewer in regulation in five out of their last nine. So I did set my total at a 124.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under in a slow control game, and I did make Weaver State the 2.5 point favorite. Want to lay the deuce. 881, 882 on the betting board. We are out to lovely Las Vegas, BYU, and St. Mary's to battle. St. Mary's is between a 6.5 to a 7 point favorite on BYU with your total 131 to 131.5. And I did set St. Mary's an 8-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number St. Mary's in regulation because they have been playing some overtime themselves recently in regulation. They're a bottom 20 team in terms of total possessions per 40 minutes. St. Mary's 6th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They do go up against a BYU team that has been relatively fair with their defense as well. 61st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And we have seen this BYU team give up 71 points or fewer in each other last four games considering they're out there in the WCC. That is relatively solid. But I do think that St. Mary's going to be able to get the job done in this spot just because they've got so many different ways to win. We were talking about teams with Tristan Freeman that they're able to be sort of bulletproof and I do think that St. Mary's is one of those teams. Now with BYU, you do have Fusani Traer. 13 points, 8 rebounds per contest. He does a solid job down low. Rudy Williams has been able to give you about 2.8 assists, 13 points per contest. But what really kills BYU? The discipline. 14.3 turnovers per game. And sometimes it feels like BYU plays a little bit too fast for their own good. I mentioned how St. Mary's likes to play very slow, very controlled. BYU is 49th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. And St. Mary's, we've seen it all season long with these teams in the WCC. They come in as top 50 teams in terms of possessions per game, and they slow them down every time. And for St. Mary's, you've got Mitchell Saxon, who should be able to do a good job against Trayer down low, 12.8 rebounds per game out of him. Alex Dusas, Ada Mahaney, these two guys have combined for 
27 points, 40.5% three-point shooting, actually 41.5% three-point shooting. St. Mary's only turns the ball over 10.6 times per contest. Logan Johnson, very underrated player with 14.7 points, five rebounds, 3.7 assists per game. And then you've got someone like Kyle Bowen. Gives you 7.4 rebounds, a little bit over a steal, a block. Shoots 40% from three-point range. This St. Mary's team is just an absolute machine. And the last time these two teams played, St. Mary's it was a little bit nip and tuck. They got the job done, 71-65. to And that was with BYU shooting 9 of 19 from three-point range, something I do not think that they're going to be able to duplicate. Logan Johnson in that game was the guy that stepped up with 27 St. Mary's on that night. They really didn't dive deep into their bench, but we've seen it time and time again when they need to. They're going to be very willing to do so with BYU. I do think that they're going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low in that last game. We did see Spencer Johnson go off for 12 points, and he's been a nice three-point shooter for this BYU bunch. He's actually shooting 55.3% from three-point range in a road slash court environment. I just think that the St. Mary's defense is better, and I think that they are going to be able to get their slow, grimy pace as they have been able to do all season long. I did set BYU as an eight-point underdog. I'm willing to lay the six and a half to seven with St. Mary's. I do think that you're going to get a more controlled game, as I don't don't think that BYU goes 9 of 19 for 3 once again. Did semi total 128, diving under, willing to lay it with St. Mary's. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit our two extra games in the Southland, 883-884. Gonzaga is going to be playing against San Francisco. The Dons are between a 12 and 13 point underdog, and your total is between 159.5 and 160.5, and I'm willing to lay anything less than 13 with Gonzaga. I did set my number at approximately 13. We've been seeing a lot of 12 and 12.5, and that's a max I'm willing to lay with Gonzaga, but I'm going to be willing to lay it with Gonzaga. They dominated San Francisco the last time these two teams played. You have to go back to early February in that one. The game was 99-81, to but Gonzaga in that game, they were up at one point 91-65 with about seven minutes remaining. As a matter of fact, I believe that they were actually up 91-63 to with seven minutes remaining. Gonzaga has been able to do a little bit more with their defense. Still leaves a lot to be desired. They're outside of the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but 72 points for fierce surrender and four of their last five games while scoring 97 plus in four out of their last five games. It's just absolutely remarkable. San Francisco, as sad as it sounds, is actually one of your better defensive teams in the WCC in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It is a Don's team that is clocking in at 191st. They're giving up 11 points more per 100 possessions in a road slash record environment. They do come in having given up fewer than 70 points in two out of their last four games, which is an achievement in this conference. They've also scored at least 76 points in four of their last five games for San San Francisco got a bunch of guys able to shoot it well from three-point range, 35.5% from the outside. They honestly shoot a little bit better away from home than they do at home. From distance, Khalil Shabazz, Tyrell Ghost Roberts, have been able to combine for 33.1 points per contest. Shabazz does give you two steals per contest, and you do have some solid rebounding out of Zane Meeks, 11 points, five rebounds per contest, but they're not going to be able to match up with Drew Timmy on the offensive side of things. Defensively, Drew Timmy is a nightmare. He doesn't do anything whatsoever. He's terrible on the pick and roll, but on offense, he's awesome. 21 points seven boards. You've got around him good three-point shooting. Rajir Bolton along Julian Strother combined to shoot about 41% for the outside. Bolton two and a half assists, 11 points per contest. Strother 15 points, six boards. He shoots 42.5% from three and Malachi Smith all of a sudden is shooting darn near 50% from three-point range. It is a Gonzaga team that in my opinion just is not going to be denied for Gonzaga. They were held from the month of February on 
below 77 points just once, and that was by St. Mary's. I do think that this is a Gonzaga team that they're going to be able to really function well once again. I do think that it's going to be a tad bit lower scoring because I do think that Gonzaga starting to round into their own a little bit more defensively, so I did set my total at a 157. I think that things are going to be a little bit more tamed down from what we saw the first time around where teams were just canning shots left and right, and this is a neutral court environment out there at the Orleans Arena, so I did set my total at 157. I'm going to be willing to dive under, and with Gonzaga, willing to lay 12.5 with them. Now we hit our two extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306, 549, 306, 550. It is McD's State, and they're going to be taking on Nichols. This is out there in the great state of Louisiana. We've got no nervous currently up on this game, but I've got my handicap. I did set McNeese State as an 8.5 point underdog and made my total 144.5, so 144 or less. Taking a look at the over 145 or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under and did set a little bit of a higher total in this one, despite the fact that McNeese State not necessarily been as rambunctious this year as they have been in the past. Right around 195th in the country in terms of total possessions, brain. They were 199th entering into yesterday, but they played a pretty fast game and they go up against a Nichols team that they certainly are looking to run it and gun it. Nichols in the top 30 nationally in terms of total possessions per game. And Nichols, one of the best teams at being able to generate turnovers in all of college basketball, but they're an all-or-nothing turnovers team as they do rank in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis 214th. And when they leave home, that has been a little bit of an issue for them, giving up right around 16.2 points more per 100 possessions when away from home than at home. But you also do have a McDeese 8 team as in the bottom 25 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. I do like what JT Shoemate is able to bring to the table 14 points, 9.5 rebounds per game for a McDC team that also does have Zach Scott, Trey English, these two guys, they combine for about 23 points, but neither of these guys really should have well from three. Really, Harwin Francois, his six half or so points per game, that's big for the team, but he had as many points as myself in the team's win against Texas A&M Commerce yesterday. Meanwhile, you take a look at Nichols, and they've not been in great form with their offense recently. Scoring 72 points or fewer in three out of their last four games, but they've also given up 71 points or fewer in three of those games as well. For Nichols, you do have some dynamic players in the backcourt in Latrell Jones, couple with Caleb Huffman. These two guys may be able to combine for a little bit over 31 points. Huffman is able to shoot 40% for three, and they should be able to maintain their own down low against Shulmate as Manny Littles. Seven and a half points, seven boards. He's been able to do a nice job of helping this team out, and then you've got other guys like Ace Pierce, Spencer, along with Lance Amir Paul, who have had good versatility. Amir Paul gives you about two and a half assists, a steal, seven points per contest, with Pierce Spencer just Mr. Do It All. Three assists, eight points, four and a half boards. She's about 32% from three point range. He has been dealing with an injury, though. I think he should be good to go for this Southland tournament. I'm sort of thinking that he's going to be very limited in this game if he is able to hit the floor, though. So it is a circumstance where I did set my total at a 144 and a half. So 144 or less, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 145 or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I am with Nichols. Made them an eight and a half point favor. McNeese just not really holding up their end of the bargain on the defensive side of things as they have given up now at least 75 points in five out of their last six games. As Nichols, I'm willing to lay up to eight with them. Nine or more. Taking the points with McNeese and 
We wrap things up with 306551, 306-552. Southeast Louisiana is going to be playing against New Orleans. All right, set Southeast Louisiana as a seven half point favorite. Once again, no numbers up on this game as of right now. So seven or less, I'm going to be willing to lay with Southeast Louisiana. Eight or more, going to be taking the points with New Orleans. I did set my total at a 153.5. The two times these teams played, it was actually a little bit of a back-to-back home-and-home on January 26th and 28th. Southeast Louisiana won both of them. At home, they only won by five on the road. They were able to dump truck New Orleans. They won that game by 16. So I do find that to be very interesting. But both of those games, Southeast Louisiana was the team that was able to do a better job of just being able to take care of the ball, especially in that second game. You saw New Orleans turn the ball over 24 times. And for New Orleans, going into yesterday, 17.3 turnovers per game. If that doesn't lead all of college basketball, it's not far from it. You do have a dynamic score. Comes in from Denver and Jordan Johnson, though. For New Orleans, 17.5 points, 4 assists, 1.3 seals. Shoots 48% for 3. New Orleans does shoot 37.9% from 3-point range. Problem is, they also don't have a single guy that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game. Simeon Kirkland has been dealing with a little bit of injury, has been trying to come back, but hasn't been playing his full lineman of minutes. I mean, that Tyson Jackson is really your primary guy that gives you north of 4.2 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for Southeast Louisiana, Roger McFarland, good versatility, 12.5 points, 8 boards, a steal per game, while shooting 41% from 3. Southeast Louisiana, as well, shoots 37% from 3. They played about two thirds of their games to the over during the regular season, and you do have nice versatility with this team. Three separate guys that give you at least five rebounds per game, and all these guys are in your top four in terms of scoring as Brody Woodbury has been able to give you nine points, six boards, and a guy that's going to go out there and pop threes. He's more of your main post presence. Nick Caldwell is a guy that doles out that versatility, shooting 37% from three, 11 points, five boards, steal per contest, enters into this game. Having scored in double figures in each of the team's last five games as well. And then on top of that, Boogie Anderson. 14 points per game. One of the best on-ball defenders that you're going to find in this conference. Also gives out four and a half assists per game. I do think that New Orleans is going to be able to get their super-duper up-tempo style. And I do think that New Orleans is going to be continuing their tradition, unlike any other, of playing very little defense as New Orleans 335th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And since they came onto the Las Vegas betting board prior to the 2018-19 season, New Orleans has been your top over team in all of college basketball in that time span. New Orleans, 28th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Southeast Louisiana, 54. So, did set my total high. You're at 153.5. 153 or less looking over. 154 higher to the under end. With Southeast Louisiana, one to live to seven with them. Eight or more at take for me on New Orleans. And that will wrap things up. For the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Soup Sound, part of the Beeson Family Podcast, a big thanks to Tristan Freeman of Boston Brackets for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. I have that five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for being here.
Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com.